Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Are recording. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host and friend Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Recording in broad daylight. It's weird. Much different than we're used to, yes. We usually wrap up about six hours from now and it's a bit earlier, but we are here today. We ran out of time when we were recording last week when we were recording an episode that will not be released by the time this is, but uh, this is 40. That's... That's us. That's the Contarians playing with the time continuum. <laughs> exactly. We're creating a time lapse, a paradox, as it were. Um, but no, Julio and I came up with the idea for a couple of bonus episodes. So this is kind of a two-part bonus episode after watching Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I think I liked it a bit more than you. Yeah, I w- that's probably accurate. We haven't really like talked too much about it. We mm-hmm. just kind of like... You were excited about it when you texted me, and then I started texting you back about how I was not excited about it. And then you texted me again later, and you're like, you know, the more I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's things in it that I did enjoy, but something we agreed upon each was, uh, or both rather, is that the ending is quite weak. Yes. I I definitely, I stopped liking it during the second half, and then I think the ending just, it really, they I wouldn't say that they blow it with the ending, but they, it's not good. I don't, I don't like it. I don't think it. Especially because they basically present what the ending is halfway through the movie right okay i guess i guess we'll just like so let's go ahead and make a disclaimer here yes the spoilers warning i mean every episode of the contrarians is heavy on spoilers (laughs) but usually just about specific movies right you know ahead of time what the what the spoilers are going to be about because it's the title of the of the episode this time we're going to be spoiling at least 10 movies today right I guess eleven if you come Manchester by the Sea. Yes, uh, at least. So uh, the, but if you want to know which movies, if you don't care about spoilers, then listen on. Mm-hmm. If you want to know what movies we're going to be spoiling, just look at the episode description. All of them will be listed there. Mm-hmm. If you read those and you're like, okay, well, I haven't seen some of these and I want to keep the surprise, then just skip this episode, watch those movies. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and or you know maybe just you haven't seen them but you don't care, so that's that's cool. Either way, it works. Now we don't know what movies are gonna be. What movies the other one is gonna be talking about? Yeah, I suggested we do a, a episode like this to Julio, and uh, what we're doing today is our least favorite endings. We'll go over the criteria here shortly, but uh, we both prepared our list. We do not know what the other one has chosen, so yes, maybe, it'll be amazing. Maybe if we have is, the same list, but I yes, highly doubt it'll happen. That's exactly what I was about to say, and that's scary because <laughs> we're already synchronized. I was like, this is a moment where we realize we're soulmates. Well, we both have the exact same list. I am 95% sure that's not going to happen. Yes. I just have high hopes that we have one pick in common. Yes. So we'll see. Time will tell. But yeah, with Manchester by the Sea, uh, they proposed halfway through the movie that he, the friend just adopts Yeah, his he's like, hey, why don't you 
do you want to adopt him? Why don't you adopt him? And the guy's like, no, I can't because, you know, I have kids and, and I'm in the process of getting But then rid an of hour kids. later, oh, sure, why not? Why not? It's so weak. That's, I mean, just on a, on a just basic plot level, it just really annoyed me that the big, because you're put in this position, you know, right? The, the conflict, the big dilemma in the movie, it's like, okay, how do you make all these people happy, right? I mean, Casey Affleck is miserable no matter what, but he's going to be even more miserable if you force him in to come back to this town where his whole life will forever haunt him, taking care of this kid that he loves but he doesn't want to take care of, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like there's no easy way out of that. The easy way out would have been what they proposed halfway through the movie, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, they, they brought it up because that way you don't have to worry about it. You, you don't have to consider that as an option. Yeah. But then they just come back and it's not even like – not even a pivotal scene where you have a conversation between all the adults and the guy that originally said no decides, okay, yes, I will. It's it's just – there's no dialogue, right? No. It's just, you just see it happen while music plays in the background. Yeah. It, well, that and also the explanation of it from Casey Affleck when he explains to his nephew what's going to happen. That's not even the most important part of the scene that it happens in. Yeah. Um, it, it it feels like they took like a very key scene out of the movie. Yeah, and they're like, well, that's okay because Affleck is gonna tell you what happened later, so exactly. you don't really need to see it. Yeah, we're kind of picky choosy with our words here because we both discussed uh, it's a very real possibility we may do Manchester by the Sea for a future episode, so we don't want to go too deep into it. But what we can attribute it with is inspiring this idea here. So we're gonna be doing two. Um, I, I don't know if I'd call them necessarily bonus episodes. Uh, it plays into kind of just the, the string of consciousness we have. But um, this part here will be the top five least favorite endings that we, Julio and I have come up with. Criteria meaning um, not we're not saying these are the worst endings in film history. These are endings that we have an emotional attachment to of resentment. Yes, they left it with that, with a particularly sour taste in her mouth. And also one of the things we discussed, and in a couple of my cases, these are movie or uh, endings rather that the movie was building to what could have been an amazing crescendo, and then the ending just fucked it up. Yes, that's that's also what I was trying to go for when I was because I was trying to also not make a list that was like too obvious, mm-hmm. which is like oh well, I'll just pick like five Adam Sandler movies. And I was gonna say like- five M Night Shyamalan <laughs> movies. <laughs> Does he have five really bad ones? I guess we'll we'll see um, as we go through his career someday in a, in a bonus episode. Well, as you know, and faithful listeners know, I, I don't much care for um, Unbreakable. I just don't don't let's not go down that path. Let's not get distracted. <laughs> so uh, I can come up with five. Yeah. So so yeah, the idea is like I guess ideally, and let me double check my list before I realize that I I did not. Yeah, no, all of my list works at this case that were it's a movie that i was very much into like i was with manchester by the sea the first half of manchester by the sea had me mm-hmm. and i was really really into it and then at some point usually towards the end the movie just blows it they, yeah. they lose you for some reason now i have uh a couple one in particular on my list that i still love the movie it's just the ending is always just like dude what the fuck were you thinking well out of like my list like out of the five i have i own three of them and I wouldn't mind owning the other two. <laughs> so, the- uh, I own three of them. Um, I wouldn't be caught dead owning one of them <laughs> on my list. But I mean, that's also. I mean, I do own a good day to die hard. <laughs> you do the on bar, Blu-ray. The bar is low. 
yeah, so, and then obviously the follow-up to that naturally will be the top five favorite endings, which uh, there was a bit of a miscommunication. I thought we were just recording our least favorite endings today, and Julio came prepared fully, and I am not. I have a full list and a text to prove that I <laughs> I warned Alex. Uh, so... We'll go ahead and record least favorite today. Uh, next uh, Wednesday, we're going to be recording our WrestleMania bonus episode, and we'll do the our top five favorites at that point in time. So, yeah. Oh, and the favorites are also like Oscar related because well, you haven't seen La La Land, but La La Land to me is the complete opposite experience of Manchester by the Sea mm-hmm. in that it's a movie that I didn't really care for through most of its runtime, and then the last twenty minutes are amazing. It's like one of the favorite things, my favorite things I've seen in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. So. Again, with fiber with the list for the favorite endings, it would be a similar criteria. Yeah, man, and kind of like this, you can have the best movie in the world, but if you have a shit ending, that's gonna ruin everything. Whereas, um, you can have a pretty shit movie, but if you have a fucking great ending, that's a lot of times the only thing people are gonna remember. Yeah, I guess the tricky thing there is like to get them to get to the ending, because you know, yeah, how much are you gonna give a movie before you walk out or you turn the DVD off? I know you already know what's gonna be on my top five favorite endings. But- I don't know. Okay. I'd rather not think about it. Okay. Let it. Well, if you've ever listened to like at least three episodes of the podcast, I somehow work in a reference (laughs) to it usually. So, Um, so let's go ahead and get started here with the Contrarians' top five least favorite endings, um, which I decided before we record, we're just going to call the Contrarians' top five bad endings. Uh, So, of course, as with any list, any proper list, you got to start off with some honorable mentions. You just kind of wanted to shoot back and forth, just name the movie with a quick. With these, we can just be kind of quick about it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So I'll start off with mine. Oh, did you get the Rotten Tomato score for yours? Uh, no, you you went above and beyond on that. Oh, I thought you were doing it while we were talking earlier. Uh, no, I was you looking at slacker. That's I was fine. Looking I, up I the year mine. of something. Okay, mine so will make up for Julio hours. overachieved. Um, so number one, two thousand five, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, a fantastic movie, but the ending is just they get sick and die. Not even that, and then his oh, it's son, the germs that kill him. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, no, and then and and the son that you know lives the, somehow. He, yeah, he even the most the most dramatic scenes in the movie. He just runs into the war, and Tom Cruise can't like save him, and you think that he's dead, and then he just shows up for the he longest survived. time. The legacy of that movie was uh, Tom Cruise losing his shit on Matt Lauer when promoting that movie. Yeah, but now we've enough time separated, we can say it's a pretty fun movie with just a dog shit I, ending. I liked it a lot until I got to the end. Uh, that that's it really like that final shot of like he gets to his wife's or ex-wife's house mm-hmm. and it's untouched by war <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think like things next to it are like all dilapidated yeah but, but there's know. like a white fenced house and the happy family comes out and it's like come on um yeah it, it's funny that's not on my uh that wasn't on my honorary uh mentions but uh but I considered it. Yeah. It was on my longer list. I guess I'll just read this in order. It doesn't matter what the ranking is. Uh, Hollywood Ending. That's the one Woody Allen movie on my list that I, I loathe the ending of Hollywood Ending. Maybe it was intentional. Uh, it's 47% in Run Tomatoes. It's uh, I can confidently... That's another criteria I guess I kind of had when making these lists. I was picking up movies that I know we're not going to do. Uh-huh. So there's no point in like I'm not afraid of uh, uh, talking about them. And also... I don't mind spoiling the ending for you because it's not even a movie I would recommend you watch. So, like, Hollywood ending has a pretty good idea, which is like Woody Allen is a movie director that halfway through production goes blind. Uh, like, it's psychosomatic. It's not that something happens. He just He's just so anxious that he goes blind. Okay. But then he has to pretend that he still sees. So, he using, like, the help of some key members of the crew, he's pretending that he can still see and uh, 
and you know still keep going with the movie so he doesn't lose funding so that sounds like it would be great and it's like okay it has his highs and lows it's it's on the road to being just like an okay Woody Allen movie mm-hmm. and then at the very end it's like kind of in a Manchester by the sea way he has like one scene where he's sitting with Helen Hunt who's like his love interest in the movie <laughs> that's that's an age difference <laughs> uh, and uh, they're sitting on a bench and it's just like there's a voiceover that just explains that oh well and then one day he got his his side back and, and they got back together and everything is happy now and you're like what <laughs> it's it's like okay well this cannot be more than 90 pages and he was on page 89 so it's like oh, wrap it up give it a voiceover and just fix it put so, a bow on it yeah you know i love woody allen movies but that's one that i i really i still like the rest of the movie but the ending i hate it i can't believe that that it's so bad Honorable mentions I have from 2003, a uh, pretty fun little horror flick up until the ending, High Tension. You ever seen High Tension? I haven't, but I know the ending. Yeah, I've... so it completely takes all logic and just continuity out of the story. Basically, a girl takes her f- friend home to visit their family, and then this murderer stalks them throughout the movie and starts killing them one by one. But then in the end, it turns out it's the friend due to split personality, despite numerous, like, 20 minutes of the movie is her being stalked by the killer. What a twist. Yeah. That's, that's one of those, like, post-Chamalan uh, thrillers where they're like, we do not care about logic, we just want to do what we that guy did. We just want to twist, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been in the time pocket there. So um, I, I remember watching that and thinking, it, it's pretty violent, but as far as... It's a pretty fun horror film. It's French, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I own it. Isn't mm-hmm. isn't there a second one? Isn't there high tension too? Higher tension. Oh, higher tension. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Waiting for the end of the trilogy. Yeah, the I've never highest seen it. tension. But I just remember being so let down because that's an example of horror is pretty hard to pull off uh, nowadays. That fine line of actual like good horror and camp, and I felt uh, like it was doing a good job of being a good horror movie, and then that happened, and I was like, oh, this is monumentally disappointing. Have you seen the sequel? Dude, I would love it if the sequel had the same twist. <laughs> that That'd be, be brilliant. A huge middle finger to the audience. <laughs> That's uh, I always think that Todd Phillips did miss a, the boat on Hangover Three. Right, he right. should have made just the exact same movie one yep. more time. Uh, okay, this one gonna you know we just can't lay off Spielberg, I guess, on our honorable mentions because to me, I just saw it, rewatched it recently. Uh, Jurassic Park: The Lost World. I've only it's, seen it once. There's no way that you have forgotten what happens, which is like they capture the T-Rex and uh and that's like you you'd be like that's the end of the movie, like they leave the island. Yeah. You know, but then they tack on this like extra 20 15 minutes where they bring the T-Rex back to the states and then it cuts loose and that was the dinosaur in the city and yeah. it's just so generic. So like you don't care, like most of the characters. It's Vince Vaughn and over. Julianne Moore, right? Well, Vince Vaughn is not even there. In the, well, he might be in that part. I don't know. Uh, Pete Possible is, is in it, like yeah. as a uh, the hunter. Is one of the coolest characters. He's done. It's, it's almost like his character knew when the movie was over. <laughs> he, <laughs> when they leave the, the the island, he leaves, and then uh, it's Jeff Goldblum, like the main character. That's right. Uh, and then yeah, Julianne Moore uh, and Jeff Goldblum's uh, daughter, who. Somersault kicks a Velociraptor in one of the most ridiculous Steven Spielberg sequences ever. <laughs> uh, she saves her dad, like Jeff Goldblum, by like she's supposed to be a gymnast, but she's also like eleven or something. Mm-hmm. You cannot tell me that an eleven-year-old, I don't care how skilled a gymnast she can be, like she's gonna like jump and like grab on a pole and like spin and then kick a Velociraptor and just be the hero. That's like fully within the realm of reason. It, it, well, I mean, you know, it, 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 this is like 
a movie where like the the original, you know, had like the the really precocious hacker girl that yeah. that saves the the day by you know hacking onto the Linux system of Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> but but even that that's more believable than this. So it starts getting bad when when Jeff Goldblum's daughter uh, high kicks a, a Velociraptor. And then, uh, and then it just gets worse once they. It stops being special, and it just becomes kind of like a generic monster movie set in the city. Like I remember the reviews at the at the time, like some people comparing it to uh, to King Kong. Oh wow! It, it, you know, because Kong, it's also like in they're the like in the island, and yeah. then they bring him to the city. And, but it's just like, well, it pales in comparison. Then I love Jurassic Park, and that ending is so bad that I I thought the Jurassic World was my memory was that it was a lot worse than it really is. Like I said, I, I rewatched it over uh Thanksgiving because they were playing it on cable and uh and it was pre engaged. I was like, man, this is actually really good. Vince Vaughn as an action hero, he 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 works. Jeff Goldblum, he steps up to the, you know, he's a protagonist instead of being a supporting character mm-hmm. like in the original. Julianne Moore is actually I know you hate her, but she's good in it. Um, I don't uh, hate anybody. Pete Possilweight is amazing. It's there's like really cool sequences while they're in the island. Uh, so, so yeah, it even highlights even more how bad that that final stretch is. That, by the way, is fifty one percent. Damn. Yeah. Right in the middle. What's the third one called? The Lost. The. Uh... uh, I think it's just Jurassic Park three. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> they just stop caring. <laughs> uh, my third last... one is not even directed by Spielberg. They're like, fuck it. Is that the last Spielberg's on your list? Uh, yes. It wouldn't surprise me if he's like, oh no, it's not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's produced like half the movies on my list. After I made my list, I just was kind of going back through lists of what is universally considered to be the worst endings in film history. And there was a Spielberg movie that made most of those lists. So really? just in case, I don't want to bring it up yet. But um, my final honorable mention. Schindler's List. <laughs> Jesus. My final That's, honorable mention. That would never happen. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unrealistic. Final movie also from the first decade of the 21st century from 2002. The aforementioned M. Night Shyamalan makes his first appearance on the list. Maybe the last. Uh, Signs. That's a great movie that is just <laughs> ruined by the twist. Why the fuck would they come to Earth? That's predominantly water. Okay, look, I, I think we're going to have our first disagreement in this episode, and that's fine. I mean, I don't think it's a great ending. I think it, but I think it works just because I think science is one of those movies where you just kind of have to keep going with it and don't stop and think about it. <laughs> I like, uh, I like, love- because it's even the what stands out to me in that ending as like not really making much sense is Joaquin Phoenix's role in the in that ending. You know, it's just so, so. Mel Gibson's wife was dying. She got hit by a car, right? She's like yeah. impaled against a tree. And uh, her last words are, I don't remember the exact words, but it's it, it, that's a, one of the big mysteries. What does it mean, right? What she said has to have some meaning. And you kind of get the feeling that, okay, it's going to be revealed at the end and that's going to be part of the big twist. The, yeah. What does she mean? And like, let's say that what she says is, tell Bobby to swing. Right, and then so that's really what happens at the very end. The, the climax of the movie is the alien has uh, Mel Gibson's daughter, right, mm-hmm. hostage, and Gibson and Hawking Phoenix are just staring at the alien, they don't know what to do, and then he remembers his wife's words and tells Hawking Phoenix to swing because Hawking yeah. Phoenix used to be a baseball player, 
And so Hawking Phoenix, he might have his bat or maybe he grabs a bat or whatever and he just swings and knocks the alien off and then the water falls on him and then they realize, oh, it's the water that kills him. That is such a stretch. I mean, it's so contrived. <laughs> There's If you stop to to think about it and try to figure out what was really going on, like did she see the future? And really, that was the most useful thing that she could come up with. Like, if, if she saw future where stop Trump, <laughs> if she saw future where her daughter was being held hostage by a by, by an alien, why is that what right. you would say? <laughs> oh, but aliens exist. That would be like my first thing to say. Uh, well, that and like, uh, oh, but I'll tell you, M Night's. Like, I, I had a serious beef with like M Night Shyamalan saving the day in a few of his movies, and that he's the one that figures out they're scared of water. In this one, yeah. He tells Mel Gibson that they're that it's water that puts them away because he like had one cornered in his pantry or some shit. Okay, yeah, I was I was thinking I was gonna say isn't he the one that gets his fingers chopped off? But that's the alien, right? The yeah, alien yeah, gets yeah. his fingers chopped off. Uh, but yeah, but but here's like it works at least to me. It works. I've only seen Science One, mind you, and it's crazy. I me too. There's much about it. But yeah, it worked for me because I like the Joaquin Phoenix character throughout the movie, mm-hmm. and and he's portrayed as this sad sack kind of a loser you know that he could have had a career and he didn't and now he just lives with his brother-in-law and all that stuff and uh and the fact that he gets a moment of redemption even though it makes absolutely no sense yeah because why does it have to be him that swings why can't it be like mel gibson that swings and what what difference does it make that he swings why can't he just like shoot him (laughs) but but he can punch him in the face and say welcome to earth exactly exactly you know tell bobby to jump him (laughs) (laughs) but the fact that that he gets his moment the sun like he gets to be the hero in that little moment that just makes you it just worked for me and then i'm like okay i don't care about the logic i just i'm just going with it mm-hmm. yeah there, there's a couple of really good scenes in that movie uh particularly the one obviously that always gets talked about is joaquin watching the home video from mexico or whatever of the alien and then also i really like the 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 last meal so to speak scene where they all have like what they want to eat and then like panic starting to set in on them and everything and yeah it, it's it's pretty it's one of it would be higher at the top of my Shyamalan list, which isn't the most distinguished list, but that that rounds out my uh, honorable mentions. Those are the ones that just missed the cut. I, I had a pretty long list, and I was able to whittle it down to five with three honorable mentions. Uh, I have uh, I have three more. I'll go through them really quickly. This is just mostly to uh, not to annoy you, but just to get the the recognition, the nod of recognition. Batman vs Superman: Dylan of Justice, twenty seven percent. But you will argue that the entire movie is dog shit. Whereas, like, I would say, I don't think the movie is great. But it's been it, on. I, I don't know who owns the rights to it, but I have the movie channels now, like uh, Cinemax or something. It's been on a lot, and yeah, the, the, yeah, the ending is just so bad. Right? It, it, it's really. I was with it. I was giving it a chance until it got to the big fight, and then I just gave up. Yeah, you were just, giving it a lot more of a shot than uh, we saw it with myself, you, your girlfriend, and Reed. And uh, whew. yeah, I I think that the. The entire movie, but definitely the end in the last thirty minutes or so, uh, it just exemplifies everything that everything that people say is wrong with comic book movies. Mm-hmm. I think I said at the time, you know, it's like he set out to prove it, and that's yeah. I still stand by that statement. Yes, Corey, I know the extended version is supposed to be much better. <laughs> Chaz was also telling me that. I was like, guys, how would you I, set aside three and a half hours to exactly. watch that? Exactly. I just don't. I don't know. I don't know. And yet. I'll watch Wonder Woman. I'll watch just the Justice League movie. I'm not gonna pay for it. You is know, there still in the extended cut, uh, Corey and Chaz? Is there still the scene that Wonder Woman prepares a PowerPoint for Bruce Wayne and sends it to him? But you actually see her do it. Yes. Song. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's the the quirky Wes Anderson scene where she whoa, where's Clippy? 
<laughs> you haven't seen this one, so I'm not going to go into like a lot of detail. I included because it's 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was actually uh, most people I know loved it. And I did too until I got to the ending, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. I'm just going to tell you that it's a great movie. I still think it's worth watching, but the ending, it, it just I've, sucks. I've heard that kind of across the board. Yeah, the, the ending could be divisive. I could see some people just not liking the ending. Uh, but still, 90% means that most people did, I guess. And then finally, this, I'm surprised it wasn't, well, it might be on your list. Don't tell me, but uh, Crazy Stupid Love, 78%. Whew. That was a that was a doozy. I remember you and me uh, both were just like that ending was fucking terrible. It's it's so bad. Yeah. And to me, it starts like before that final sequence. To me, it starts when they have the big like Three Stooges uh, sequence where everybody gets where together. Ryan Gosling goes. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they all get into a fight. Kevin Bacon, Gosling, Carell, uh, Emma Stone, and, and the other uh, Julianne guy. Moore. Poor man's Kevin from The Office. The, yes, yeah. yeah. Everybody's in it. Everybody's like fighting, wrestling. It's just it's and they keep embarrassingly. Tri- like, campy. They keep like tripping over each other's jokes. Are you pointing at him? Are you pointing at him? Yes. He's pointing at me. Uh, no, it's cringeworthy. It, yeah, especially it, considering uh, the talent level that's involved. Yes, and and I actually liked that movie a lot until then. I've I've heard. I think it was Eddie that Eddie didn't care for it at all. Like, he never found it funny. I actually found it funny and kind of insightful in. I watched it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I can still relate to it. But you know, back then, I was uh, the the feeling of like, oh, what do I do when I'm being in a relationship and I'm not in a relationship anymore? That feeling, like it was, it, it was a lot fresher. And uh, it, you know, so basically, what the Steve Carell character is going through, which is mm-hmm. like, wow, I've been married, I have a family, and now I don't. Yeah. And then this guy teaching him how to be single again. There was an appeal in that concept, and I thought they were pulling it off for the most part. And then, and then they the movie just... just becomes basically a self-parody. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like they couldn't take themselves seriously anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and when it, by the time it gets to the end and that fucking speech. Oh, yeah. It, it, basically, it ends with him professing his love to his wife in front of a, a congregation at his kid's elementary school. And it, it's... Like you, I was already checked out by that point, but that ending just puts it over the top. Is like fuck off. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the weird child pornography ending. Yes. Like, <laughs> wait, isn't there like also? I think that we both said it. I don't know if we've said it ever in the podcast. This might be the first time that we brought crazy, stupid love. Where they were like, "There's no way they would let him talk for that long about." Yes. <laughs> like, oh, isn't that the this- principal, uh, sir? The- <laughs> This is for uh, fourth graders. Yeah, I mean the movie is allegedly set in the real world, and and yet it just I don't know it just becomes this weird fantasy at the end. Yeah, that's we could go on and on about that, but um... okay. So now the list proper. You just made the list. Oh no! Oh, here we go. (laughs) Moving right along to the list of the Contrarians' top five bad endings. And just once more to reiterate, not saying these are the worst endings ever. These are endings that we found particularly troublesome, annoying, bad, vacant. They hurt us. We found ourselves bamboozled, hoodwinked. Okay, number five for me. Um, and just quick mention, we did make the rule they can't be any movie we've covered. Because uh, right. we want to cover new ground. And uh, both Julio and I agreed, uh, just by eyeing our list over, they're probably not movies we're ever going to do on this to a, for a full episode. So... Um, number five, it was from 1983. It was Return of the Jedi. It was episode six. 
as we recently just picked up the the pieces from the the ending of that. Um, Return of the Jedi is one of my favorite Star Wars films, but I have always really, really disliked the ending of that movie. Alex, here we'll, we're going to disagree again, and this time a lot harshly, more harshly than okay. before. What problem do you have with uh, Return of the Jedi? And if you say Ewoks, I'm just gonna, we'll just stop because there's no arguing with you. <laughs> I, I don't dislike the Ewoks. Okay, I good. find them. I, find I, I think the Ewoks are like the laziest complaint people the, can make yeah, about yeah, yeah. Return of the Jedi. The battle on Endor is actually a really fun scene. Yes. And now this is kind of a double whammy. Um, <laughs> I dislike the ending enough as, okay, let's only go ahead. Okay, second um, stupidest complaint, and I really hope, I know this is not it, but it's like, well, Vader is a white guy under that mask. <laughs> yeah. Luke's white. His whole family's white. Jesus. You haven't seen Chasing Amy, but there's there's oh, a pretty okay. awesome line about yeah. that. You keep your Kevin Smith shit on that side of the room, all right? <laughs> uh it is the it's the darkest of all of them, and that, that still stands. It's the darkest film they make. Um Yoda dies, all this shit happens. Oh, well, I guess he doesn't die, he's just fulfilled his destiny, so he goes He fades away. Exactly. He classifies himself as obsolete. Okay. He finally reconnects with his dad. After you know building this strife between them, his dad then Anakin comes back over to he realizes the error of his ways. I wouldn't say he comes back over. He doesn't become a Jedi again. He just does what's right, and he dies, uh, saving his son. That and is amazing. It is okay. Good. It is okay. I'm glad that we're in agreement so far. Yeah. Okay. So and then you know he sees his father's face for the first time, and um. I can't remember it verbatim, but it's just so fucking great when he's like, if I take that off, you'll die. And he's like, we're beyond that point now. Yeah. And yeah. then he like dies in his arms. That's where the movie should have ended. Okay. So you have a problem with the, the yes. Ewok party? Again? After all of that, after all we've been through, through that entire, that first trilogy, and especially considering there's a very real possibility that was going to be it. Like, right. It was just, they're fucking partying with these stuffed animals. Like, okay, they just they just overcame the the empire. Like this is not like this, this wasn't just can you like imagine a personal how much more powerful between, like, that movie would have been if it just ended after Luke and okay. Vader. Okay, this is not a Bergman movie though. I mean, this was like a popcorn crowd pleaser. <laughs> you couldn't like well, even like, like you can watch s- my children. If I growing up, if I'd like seen that movie, it would have scarred me for life. Like the the, the version that you want, like the downer that. I think that Vader's death is was so traumatic. But it's, I, it's I a vindication. It out of my, no, no, no. But you don't know. When you're a kid, you don't know that. You're asking like a Disney movie. Like I know they were not Disney back in the day, but still, like, you're asking a Disney movie to to get like very real in a very like adult way. And I don't think that that's that's fair. That's a fair demand. So the thing is, too, the Battle of Endor, they the Ewoks are cute, but they're they also die. vicious fucking killers. Well, they die too. Like there's yeah. that one shot where like the yeah, and and gets... that's like not all. And then the last the party scene is supposed to be all bubbly and fun. I'm not done. It's it's bubbly and fun with a tinge of sadness. That's the whole point of Luke, like kind of like staring off away from the party and seeing and seeing the, the ghosts of. Uh... You're segueing into my next point. Okay, as if. <laughs> I didn't dislike the ending enough. They decided, because I have on my notes here, Return of the Jedi, parentheses, 1983, slash 2004. Oh, okay. 
when it was re-released and they put Hayden Christensen's dumb fucking ass in there. Okay, but but the problem with that is more nope. like it's Hayden nope. Christensen. No, because Yoda looks the same as he does when he dies. Ben looks the same as he does when he dies. But somehow Hayden Christensen's long flowing locks are in the film. <laughs> the one they show in the original Return of the Jedi, if you're going to have that ending, you have to show when he's like redeemed. And like it just looks so fucking dumb in the re-release where they like CGI I think that him maybe... Is this is me rationalizing it, but you know, but it's also you thinking about it way too are much. We, so. Am I supposed to argue with you about all your points? Are you actually like, do you actually like the ending of Return of the Jedi? No, I like the oh, ending. Okay, I do. I like I it a lot. I just can't tell if you're trying to be a dickhead or no, something. No, 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 no. I'm a hundred percent. I like it, dude. I like all it right. a lot. I I think Empire Strikes Back has a better ending, just because. Now that's some dark shit, but and, and I think that that's okay because you know there's another one coming, yeah. you know. But to me, you know, Han like telling Leia that he loves her, or well, saying I know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, and getting frozen. Did you and know, then, improvised, by the way. Uh, him, say, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it, that's yeah. Harrison Ford is the man. You know, Luke loses his hand. That big reveal about Vader being his father. I mean, that stuff is like really dark. But it's okay, you know, because you get another one later. But no, this one, I, I think it it hits, it 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 really works the the tone it hits the right tone for that because i think it's happy but it's sad too and if i'm gonna explain like why he looks like uh hayden christensen it's because i think that they choose how they want to present themselves (laughs) and both both ben and yoda were happy when they died they were happy with themselves whereas like hayden christensen probably the last time that he was Happy with himself was when he looked like Hayden Christensen. But he was still evil, long-haired Hayden Christensen. It should have been No, he didn't, episode, have, he, he didn't have the crazy eyes. It should have been episode two, the flat top with the bead coming out. <laughs> uh, I think the bigger problem with that change is just that nobody likes Hayden Christensen. When you think of Hayden Christensen, you have like an instant association with bad things. Because yeah, he, which he's is unfair. Not, it's, it, I don't think – well, I mean, okay, so – then you're like, why do you have bad associations with Hayden Christensen's image in Star Wars? Because the movies that he was in were kind of shitty. So, yeah. you know, I think of him and yeah, maybe he may be a good actor, but the material he was given in episode two, it's just so bad. That- Dude, I flipped that on the other day right at the, I hate them. <laughs> I want them all to die. And I was like, oh, man. Have you so seen- good in Shattered Glass. Have you seen that meme uh, where they put, they superimposed that that uh that speech on trump's face <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh, uh out of all the movies on my list it's easily the one that i have the most high regard for it's just i always have been not troubled but just kind of annoyed by the ending because it's that type of thing where it goes on just like minutes too long to where like it could have had a much more impactful legacy had it ended where i believe it should have um i cuz i feel the main thing is what you should take away from the end of that is the vindication of Darth Vader and how he did the right thing to save his son. Whereas the end you're like, cause the story of the first three is about Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Right. Uh, but it ends with like, you just, it's like the group shot. It's the end of empire records, basically <laughs> like they're up on the Ewoks roof and indoor and just there's, dancing. There's nothing wrong with the end of empire records. There's not. Cause that's a different, that's a different ball game altogether. But, um, but yeah, that, that would be number five for me. Okay, well, my number five is, and this might have been just because I've been listening to uh, that podcast I mentioned and the episode that's not come out yet. <laughs> but uh, I've been I've been watching a lot of Star Trek recently, uh, just kind of like having it in the background, and uh, that made me think of Star Trek Generations, the first movie, the first Star Trek movie with the Next Generation crew, which was supposed to be the passing of the torch. Yeah, from you know the. Kirk crew to the Picard crew, the, the William Shatner crew to the 
Charles Professor Xavier X, group. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? No. What year is that? That is, I don't know. You're the years, man. I can tell you what its Run Tomato score is. <laughs> So we both did equal amounts of work, just in different just ways. Different, yeah, uh, Generations is at forty nine percent. Is that the one that Tom Hardy's in? No, no, no. That's the last one. Okay. Of theirs. No, Generations I watched when I was still in Peru. So man, it has to be like mid nineties or something. Uh, Where is the Star Trek? <laughs> Where is William Shatner? <laughs> uh, it was, it was so weird. And man, you, I've never been like the biggest Star Trek fan as far as I've always been more of a Star Wars fan. So to me, it didn't have. It, you know, like I think with, when Generations came out, it was a little bit like when the prequels came out or maybe even like when Episode Eight came out, eh, maybe less because, you know, that's the hype for that was was huge. But, you know, it was supposed to be a big deal. If you're yeah. a Star Trek person, you're like, oh, holy shit. It's, they literally meant the passing of the torches and like you were going to have William Shatner and uh, Patrick Stewart in the same movie. Like the poster, I think, had both of them. And mm-hmm. and you, you kind of envisioned like both crews working together somehow, you know, uh, which is weird because – at the time, I didn't think about it, but now that I've been watching the show chronologically, I'm like, wow, they're like hundreds of years apart. So, <laughs> so you have to come up with a really weird way of justifying that crossover, right? And uh, so anyway, it's really – it's a Next Generation movie for like 75% of its runtime. You know, it's the, the Charles Xavier crew. Yeah. And then they – something happens. Like they get into a battle or something, and it's near this – I don't remember the specifics of the plot, but it happens near this thing, this phenomenon that they were investigating that's called, I think, the Nexus. And the Nexus is basically heaven. Uh, where, like, if you go into the Nexus, then all your wishes come true and you just lead a life that, you know, you, you've always wanted to live. So, you know, it's kind of like you died and then this is, like, perfect, right? And so they go into the Nexus. Like, the Enterprise is getting, like, shot at by, like, this, these enemies, and they crash to the Nexus, and then John luc Picard, Charles Xavier, wakes up, mm-hmm. and he's, like, he has a family, and he has, you know, they're celebrating Christmas, I think, and his nephew that had died, like, early in the movie, like, the movie opens with him getting the news of his little nephew dying, uh, his nephew's there, and you're like, okay, this is obviously, like, a fantasy world, right? But but then there's something in him that, that I guess, kind of, like, alerts him that this is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so he... He gets out of his nexus and somehow manages to go. Oh man, it's just it's so fucked up. Like it all happens. I think it's a planet, right? And uh-huh. and uh, Malcolm McDowell is the bad guy. And so Charles Xavier figures out that he can't fa- he can't defeat him by himself. He needs help. And uh, for some reason, his mind goes to like, well, I'll just go to the greatest captain ever, uh, William Shatner. Oh wow! And uh, and Shatner. Earlier in the movie, they shown him like really old William Shatner, you know, like like current time, modern time uh, William Shatner. Uh, they show his last mission as a captain, which ends with him getting sucked into the Nexus. So now Picard is in the Nexus, Charles Xavier is in the Nexus, and he's like, "Well, I need James to Kirk to be like my my wingman taking down this bad guy," and uh, and so he finds. William Shatner in the Nexus, but it's like old William Shatner because obviously they couldn't like CGI his body and making him look. We weren't like, there yet, right? William Shatner in his prime was not gonna be so. So they find him. He finds him like you know chopping wood, making like pancakes or something. He's like <laughs> he's by himself. So I, it makes you think that one, uh, James C. Kirk's like ideal life, his heaven on Nexus is just him like being a hermit, like in the, <laughs> in the, in the middle of nowhere. Being Kevin Costner from uh, Dawn of Justice. Yeah. Building something out of rocks. <laughs> yes. And he has absolutely no interest in adventure. He's just, you know, chilling there. And so then 
Xavier has to like coax him out of this and tell him, no, you know, I need your help. We need to save the galaxy again and whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so he brings him back out and he convinces him. And then they go back in time to the powers of Nexus to like, to defeat Malcolm McDowell and Shatner's contribution to, to the, to the big fight where they end up defeating Malcolm McDowell is basically distracting him, like being a distraction, which could have been done by anyone. <laughs> And so, but he's just like he kind of runs away, and uh, and, and uh, Malcolm McDowell shoots him, like blows him up, and then uh, Xavier uses that to like jump Mal- Malcolm McDowell while he's distracted, and then he goes to Shatner, and Shatner's dying, and then that's oh the passing of the torch. It was like one, it's disappointing because you you brought back Kirk to have him die like a punk, like he, he doesn't <laughs> do anything. Uh, two. This is the crossover. This is what what had been touted as like this big crossover between the both crews. Mm-hmm. It's just you know Xavier and Shatner like just together for like I don't know fifteen minutes. Yeah, in a very like lackluster action sequence. That by the end of it, you realize, oh well, the only excuse this was this was just put in so they could kill off Kirk mm-hmm. <laughs> and people would stop asking for another original crew uh, mission. And uh, and three, it's just and then it's over because you come back. To like, you know, oh, they defeated this guy. The Nexus is, goes away or something. And they now you come back to like the Enterprise, the, you know, being shot down from the sky right before this happened, and they crash land on the planet. And then I remember the first time I saw this movie, and I've seen it several times since. Thinking, okay, now the movie's gonna start, <laughs> you know, because they're like stranded in this planet, and uh, and maybe something else will happen with other members of the group. No, it ends there. Like the the Enterprise crashes it's destroyed and they they beam out like they, they get res- rescued and they're like uh they make like some quip about how like oh well you know that's the end of the ship or something and and then Riker, the second commander is like well i plan to live forever and, <laughs> and then that's it it's over the most disappointing crossover because uh, uh, you know this could have been just like a, uh, a regular next generation movie and it would have been fine yeah it was you didn't need to bring and i'm not the biggest fan of of shatner like i didn't really care for like the, the original crew as much as I care about the next generation crew, but I think his character deserved better than yeah. what they gave him in that in that movie. And the fans deserve better. Uh the whole concept of the Nexus is just completely undermined because, you know, you think that it has some rules and then the rules that they establish don't explain why William Shatner is the one that gets brought in to fight this this evil. Uh it just all felt very tacked on and very uh, just contrived. A huge disappointment. In a movie that I liked up till then. Like, stuff happens in that movie. When the movie is just a Star Trek Next Generation movie, cool stuff happens. Like, the android data that has been, that hasn't had emotions through the entire series mm-hmm. finally achieves his dream of getting an emotions chip and has to deal with emotions for the first time in his life. That stuff is good. And then it just gets completely dropped so that they could tack on a weird crossover. Uh, and that's like there's the whole last act of the movie, pretty much. It ends there, like yeah, yeah. that's the end of the movie. Like the, the, you know, they have this auction, this awesome like battle sequence. The Enterprise crashes. Picard goes to the Nexus, and then the movie just goes off the rails. It's it short changes everybody in the Next Generation crew except for Picard, and uh, and it definitely it just sullies the name of James Kirk, who <laughs> was brought out of retirement so he could get killed like an idiot. Not at all nerdy that. Uh... We started off with Star Wars and Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving along to my number four, and this one is definitely a cheat, but I don't give a shit. Uh, it spanned two decades. It was from 1979 to 1990 um, because 
all of these movies have the exact same ending, and I disagree with all of them. Rocky two, three, four, five. Um, <laughs> I love the first Rocky, and I remember that was I think our third episode we did, um, yep. and it's a great classic movie with just a fantastic story. I also love great dates of plot notwithstanding. Exactly. Um, I also love Rocky Balboa, and I understand that kind of makes my argument flimsy because that couldn't have existed without the whole franchise. But the point of Rocky is not Rocky's not the hero. Like you know, it's just a tale of someone who can be as good as, but not necessarily overcoming. And that's the whole thing with the first one. He doesn't win; he right. just makes it the the distance, and he he gets the split decision. And then they kind of, and that's the thing. A lot of people have a hard time believing that that movie won Best Picture that year. Like people <laughs> that aren't overly familiar with you know film history and things like that, because two, three, four, and five, especially five and four, um, and three, just kind of <laughs> did took it way over the top and made Rocky the prevailing hero, which also kind of defeats the story of the first one, where he's just a journeyman. He was never like a Floyd Mayweather, Muhammad Ali, you know, fucking. Um, I'm trying to think of a successful white boxer, uh, Arturo Gatti. Anyone who had like a successful winning streak, he was just kind of a, a guy that was in the middle of the road. Um, but the story of the movie proves that, you know, with enough willpower and, you know, the, the human spirit can rise above to be as good as. Um, so for the rest of those with him winning, it's just it kind of takes away, to me, the essence and spirit of the story and really hurts the franchise as a whole. Um but doesn't he fight communism in the fourth one? Oh yeah. Well, he brings he brings yeah the famous speech. If I can change, and you can change, <laughs> anybody can change. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here with a straight face and a, tell you there's not a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah, there's not a lot of fun in the other ones. I, I know Brandon Curtis he prefers two to one, which he's an idiot for doing so, but. Um, <laughs> And in five, Rocky was supposed to die in the final fight, but then like Sly changed his mind at the last minute. Surprise, surprise. Um, so that's always annoyed me. Five I is the one where he has a kid. Five is the one where he gets him and Tommy Morrison have the street fight. They don't fight in the ring. Uh, they might have a kid, yeah. And again, I really love Rocky Balboa, but same thing. He doesn't win. It's not about yeah. him winning. It's about him just being as good as and, you know. Not getting killed. Saying he can, yeah. And, and that's... I have such a strong attachment to the first Rocky that I, I don't oh, I hate it. It's just kind of always bothered me. It's not like horror genres that I really like that were never that good to begin with. Um, well, Halloween's a good example. Uh, the first one's incredible. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Sure. And, and then uh, <laughs> we're on an audio podcast and I just flipped Julio off. But then they just have like this deterioration to the point where not even Rob Zombie could save it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, so the middle of the Rocky franchise, because like I said, they all have the same fucking ending that, that gets my nod for number four. All right. All right. Good. I haven't, I haven't seen any other than the original, uh, but yeah, you should go back and listen to episode three Rocky, which has the distinction of being the shortest contrarian's episode ever. It's like 35 minutes or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My number four. Is uh, it's funny because uh, you're like keep your Kevin Smith on that side of the, <laughs> the aisle. Jersey Girl at forty one percent around tomatoes. I actually really like Jersey Girl, and I think the ending is such a like betrayal of uh, the faith I had put in that movie. Have you seen it? Oh, you haven't seen it, man. That's 
Uh, I don't fuck with Kevin Smith, man. <laughs> well, you should because uh, there there's some gems hidden among like the stuff that everybody hates. Uh, so the basic story of J- Jersey Girl is like Ben Affleck and and uh, wow, his Jennifer Lopez. They have a kid, right? But she dies. Uh, Jennifer Lopez dies in childbirth. So Ben Affleck, who's a successful marketing employee or something, I don't know. He's like a big, powerful executive. Uh, he can't raise this girl by himself and and still keep his job. So he moves to this small town with his dad, played by George Carlin, and uh, so he can get some help, you know, raising the girl. So so he has to leave his job, and I don't remember. He gets like a small town job in the you know in the small town. And the bulk of the movie is him trying to make it back into the city, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to get his life back together where he was making money. And, you know, and in the small town, he meets Liv Tyler, who runs like a video rental store. So really dating the movie. Yeah, I was about to say. I think they don't even rent like an iPod. <laughs> the thing is like VHS tapes. So I think <laughs> she might have like a, a blockbuster franchise there. But uh, but anyway, he falls in love with Liv Tyler and the little girl's really cute and everything. It's like a funny thing. And it has like, it peaks at this moment where like Ben Affleck gets into a shouting match with, uh, with his daughter who's like four or five and, and kind of like blames her for killing Jennifer Lopez and ruining his life, which is like huge. Like I remember yeah. like that, that was one of those moments where like the audience like gasped every time I watched in theaters. <laughs> uh, and so, so it's it's really well made. Like it's a small drama. It's really funny too. But you know, like you're like, wow, Kevin Smith, like you know, moving past like the comic book stuff and just yeah. Like, and then he gets an offer uh, to get back to the city, and and it's a really good offer, like a really good job. Everything is gonna work out. And in the lobby, while he's waiting for his interview or something, he runs into Will Smith. Will Smith playing Will Smith. And okay. uh, never, never a good sign when you have a celebrity playing themselves. No. Usually doesn't go well. And so Will Smith dispenses words of wisdom, telling him Ben Affleck that, you know, I live a pretty sweet life, but I wish I could spend more time with my kids. Oh, God. And then Ben Affleck is like, you know, what? oh, oh, yeah, because this interview is happening at the same time that his daughter is having like some sort of recital, like she's on a of school course. play or something. He He has to bail on that because... You know, he has the interview. So he leaves the interview, runs to, like, a song by The Cure. He runs <laughs> back to, like, take the train, get back to Jersey, and uh, and makes it to the play. And, you know, I'll give him this. The, the shot of, like, when the girl sees him on the crowd, like, is amazing. Mm-hmm. But, but it's not cool enough to, like, just erase the betrayal of... I hate what the message of the movie is. I hate that it's telling you that... You cannot have a successful career and have kids. Yeah. That you have to choose one or the other. Like, fuck you. It's the year. Like, he made this, like, late 90s, early 2000s. 2004. I looked that up because I was trying to remember when that, because when you were describing it, I remembered it. Yeah. And it was like, what kind of, like, backwards-ass logic is that? You know, it's just not like the fucking 50s. It's like, you can have a good career and raise children. (laughs) Oh, man. Jason Biggs is in it? Yeah. He's his assistant. Oh, damn. Uh he, I mean, he's not, you know, he's assistant in the city. So when he moves back to, uh, when he moves moves to Jersey with George Carlin, Biggs is out of the picture. Uh, but and it was two thousand four, so he was literally out of the picture. <laughs> yes. Okay. And and then you know to have the nerve of having Will fucking Smith tell you, I have a sweet life, but I wish I had yours. Bullshit. You know that's that's just fuck you. 
on every level. They definitely level. could have picked a better celebrity to do that. Yeah, because it's just such a – give me like a – okay, I mean, I don't know how well – but, you know, let's say like you see Mickey Rourke. You know, he runs the Mickey Rourke, and Mickey Rourke tells him, I chose work over family, and I'm fucked. Like, look at my face. Look at my, my track record. Look at how – like, That's like – Mainly the plot of the wrestler, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and then you're like, okay, well, maybe, but but you're choosing somebody who, I mean, I don't know, who Will picks Smith's... and chooses what he wants to do, right? I mean, I don't want to presume that I know the ins and outs of Will Smith's personal life, but he seems like a pretty happy dude, and I, you know, I'm like, I'll be, I'll be cool with that life, yeah. You know, that's that's, I don't know, it just it really annoys me. That, that the movie went that way. And of course it ends with him just deciding to settle in this little town. He, he's basically whatever job he has there. I don't remember, but it's like way below what he should be doing. He's a bartender or some shit. Probably. And yeah. he's just like dancing at a bar with Liv Tyler, like slow dancing. And that's supposed to be like the happy ending. And instead you just feel like, well, now this guy's settling. Yeah. That girl literally ruined his life. <laughs> That is a really shitty message. Yeah. I, I I love the movie. Otherwise, like I said, I own it and I'll watch it anytime. But the ending is really maddening. Fits in with my number three because I've rewatched this movie many times, but it doesn't take away how frustrating the ending is. Uh, 2008 came out my birthday weekend along with the Sex and the City movie. Um so, wait, for your birthday, do you go see Sex and the City or do you go see this I movie? screened Sex and the City. It, I screened it at like two in the morning of my 21st birthday. <laughs> And I hated it. We're sticking with Liv Tyler here. We've got a pretty good flow going with these. Oh, I know what this movie is. Do you? The Strangers. The Strangers it is. Yeah, this has been brought up a couple times. If we ever do a list of the greatest trailers that did not come to light for a great movie, Strangers will be a solid number two, because I think Prometheus will always have that unlock of best trailers. But we both like Prometheus. Right, I was going to say, but I like The Strangers. I think that you like The Strangers except for the ending. Uh, Yes, um, the Strangers is a great horror movie. Uh, despite I don't I don't like that opening monologue where it's trying to do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre shit, where it's the voiceover of like oh, all these crimes happen oh, and yeah, they're yeah, never yeah. solved. Um, it's like, dude, just fucking get to the movie. Just <laughs> jump right in with Scott Speedman's whirlwind acting, and you know, have him talking to. Don't hate on Scott Speed Speedman. I I always wanted to see him in more stuff. Uh, you know, he was Ben in Felicity. Was he? Yeah. I never watched Felicity. Um. <laughs> But The Strangers is a great, suspenseful, very, very genuinely scary movie um, that keeps this. I had this in mind when I was using that verbiage earlier that it builds to what you think is going to be this great crescendo or payoff. But all that happens is they just tie them up and kill them. Or so you think. They kill Scott <laughs> Speedman. And then a couple of uh, door to door fucking Jehovah's Witnesses boys or whatever find them killed and they go to. Um, see if Liv Tyler's okay, and when they reach out, she grabs him and screams because you have to have your last fucking scare in a horror movie. Um, Do you think that that was like one of those, uh, like the movie was done and then they they did a, um, you know, screening for the audience, like a test screening, and they're like, hey, one more scare, we could use one more scare. Either that or the studio just was like, you always got to end a horror movie with one last scare. <laughs> um, there's an alternate ending that's a bit more interesting. Um, of when it's Scott Speedman that uh, it's Speedman that grabs the arm and screams. Ah, no, they take <laughs> my off, career. They take off the masks and they're all Scott Speedman. Uh, <laughs> but it's like I've watched it before, and I think it's um, it's the morning after, and those little shithead kids aren't there, and Dennis, 
their friend that shows up and gets killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His phone's vibrating, and Liv Tyler's like barely alive, and she starts crawling for they it. They shoot him, right? Like they, they yeah, shoot thinking the he's like the yeah, bad guy, yeah. which is a really interesting twist or yeah, like, I like device. It. But she hears it, and she starts like crawling for the phone, and then the dude who is in the suit, the guy killer, comes in, and he's, his mask is off, and he just walks over and takes the phone and leaves her there to die. And I think that's kind of cool and more methodical. Yeah. Of course, if I had it my way, the ending would not just be them fucking tying him up and killing him because it's just like, well, what's the purpose then? So what would be the ending? I don't know. That's the thing. <laughs> this is one where I can't recommend. It's not like well, I Well, you can't say if I had my way and then say I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. They get free. They get in a shootout with the cops. I, I don't know. But like, uh, so much about that annoyed me because the whole the first act of the movie is the silence between uh, Speedman and um, Liv Tyler – uh, because she turned down his proposal offer. And right. then the last scene when they're tied up and about to die, she unveils that her hand has the ring on, and they look at each other and like start crying. And I was like, dog. That's not bad. I, I had forgotten about that. I, I like that. It just didn't fit in with the tone of the film like at all. And it felt like, I guess that's my problem. Watching it, it felt like we were destined for greater things than we got. Like right. watching the way the movie built up and everything, I was like, "Oh, this is fucking awesome!" And because I was genuinely like, "I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen." Right. And then the ending, I was just like, "What?" I, I was deflated is a good term yeah, for it. Yeah. All that being said, incredible trailer. The theatrical poster for it is one of my favorite posters ever. I, I love that poster so much. I, I'm I usually have it framed in my room, but right now it's out of rotation. Right now you have Cyrus. I do have Cyrus. I like that movie. Um. And the middle chunk, like, there's an hour and 15 minutes of that movie that is genuinely great horror film, but I just never could move past the ending. It's the type of thing I, I would do watch it from time to time, but when I know it's coming, I just kind of turn it off. I'm like, <laughs> all right, time to move on. You said uh, that the alternate ending with, like, everybody under the mask is Scott Speedman, and I automatically thought of a remake of being John Malkovich called being Scott Speedman, <laughs> and I want to watch that movie. Or just a nutty professor where Scott Speedman plays the whole family. Please, let's do that. Hercules, Hercules. It. It'll be cheaper than whatever you had to pay Amy Murphy. I like Scott Speedman. Dude. <laughs> he was in the show that, of course, sadly got canceled after 13 episodes. It didn't get renewed or even the back end. Uh I don't even remember what undeclared? it was called. No, no. Is he not declared? Freaks and Geeks? No, I'm just oh. thinking of shows that got canceled. No, it was a couple of years ago. He was the the second in command of this sub that had uh, uh, a sub that had like huge nuclear capabilities, and it goes basically goes on its own. Like it breaks rank from America, and so they become fugitives and they take over an island. It was it had a good. It was a show that had potential. It had like yeah. a lot of boneheaded episodes. So I did, I was not surprised when it got canceled, but he was good in it. I was glad to see Ben like still doing stuff. Right on. Uh, my number three. That's what we're doing, right? Three. Yeah. yeah. Great balls of fire. Sixty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That is Dennis Quaid playing Jerry Lee Lewis. For a split second, I was like, "The fucking ping pong movie with Dan Fogler." No, that is. An amazing movie that works on every level, including the ending. <laughs> Dan Fogler can do no wrong. What is that called, then? That is Balls of Fury. Okay. Wait, Dennis Quaid played Jerry Lee Lewis? Yes. Okay. And I really like... I like it. I can see some... Here's the thing. I don't know what Jerry Lee Lewis was like when he was young. I haven't seen the videos. I'm assuming, just like I assume when I watch Jackie, that the performance is heavily inspired by whatever footage they have of the real person. Yeah. So even though it may look weird to me, 
I'm like, well, but that's how they were in real life. It's not like that bullshit with Lincoln where we can just <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis just expects us to think that's what he acted like. Uh, but yeah, he's it's. I, I dare say it's Dennis Quaid. Like you've never seen him. He's very, very out there, very flamboyant. Very... You ever seen the Buddy Holly story? No, is that Jerry Lewis or Dennis Quaid? Like you've never seen him? No, it's Gary Busey is Buddy Holly, and it's like say no more. <laughs> that, but it's like good. <laughs> it's 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 shocking. But yeah, I had no idea Dennis Quaid. Yeah, I, I it's it's not like a uh, a huge movie, and uh, and I think the the ending it might be a reason why it kind of like builds to nothing. But when it's I I always liked. It. I remember watching TV when I was a kid. It's not like a kid's movie because one of the big things, basically the through line of the movie besides his rise and fall, is that he marries his cousin yeah. who was like underage, I think. And killed when he his first career. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, so all that is really good. Like it, it, Winona Ryder plays the cousin. and Sold. Uh, yeah. Uh, dude, it's like, I own it. Don't let you borrow it. Yeah. It's uh it's really good, and the the music is great. I mean, I've always I liked it so much. I bought the soundtrack. I remember, like, it's you know, Jerry Lewis on the piano and Dennis Quaid like doing the performances. He's crazy, you know, like shaking his head with the the hair the and everything. Brillo pad, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And then you know, it builds up to, you know, he's like a big sensation. Then everybody finds out about his marriage. It kills his career. And then I think, dude, I think it's like twenty minutes left of the movie by then, and it just does the. The other big relationship in the movie is him with his, I think it's his other cousin or whatever, played by Alec Baldwin, who's a preacher. And so uh, I guess that's supposed to be the climax because Baldwin, I mean, he doesn't have like a huge part, but he he shows up like in key moments where they argue, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Jerry Lewis is like, Dennis Quaid is just like, you know, this loose cannon and Baldwin keeps trying to like bring him back to God and the straight and arrow and whatever. And uh, so after his career goes to shit... There's this really weak ass montage of like him just going down the drain and like partying and cheating on Winona Ryder and whatever huge stuff, you know, because you yeah. built the relationship throughout the entire movie and it should be a huge deal that he's finally like betraying her because he hasn't cheated on her ever during the movie. He hasn't done anything bad. He's literally he's been shown as this good guy who's kind of crazy, but but who just barely his biggest failing is one that he's proud and two that he's in love with his cousin. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he becomes an asshole, but you don't really feel that transformation. Cause it happens like in that like 10 minute montage, five minute montage where like, she's calling him on the phone crying and he's like fucking other women in hotels and getting drunk and whatever. And then the end of the movie is she convinces him to go to church where Alec Baldwin is preaching. Yes. And, uh, and Alec Bowling, hell of a performance too, because he's like, you know, this like a bombastic preacher, and he he almost brings Jerry Lee Lewis to the good side, and then at the end, uh, Quaid goes like, "No, you know what? I'm good," and he walks out of the church, <laughs> and and we know writers caught between the two of them, and she runs after him, you know, like saying, "Oh, well, you know, they just stayed together. She, they overcame whatever." You know, and then I don't uh, need no God. Right. And then the last shot of the movie after that is like there's like a uh, I think, you know, the classic biopic like uh, titles where they're like, and this happened and this happened, this happened all this while he's playing Great Balls of Fire at a bar somewhere, you know, and he's happy because everybody loves him there or whatever, which feels so fake and unearned. You basically saw this man become kind of a monster in the last 20 minutes, like become an asshole, destroy his family. And then you're quickly trying to fix it with this really contrived scene at the church. Well, also, I remember when I first learned about that, that's when I first started getting really into like music history or rock history, at least. 
about his story because he was kind of he was that parallel. He was on the same path as like Elvis and Johnny Cash and all those guys, Buddy right. Holly, and that thing that destroyed his career. There's no sympathy in that. He married his <laughs> minor cousin. Like that. That's not. I, I have no. You know. There's. Yeah, you can't feel sorry for him about that. Right, but then the movie doesn't give you like doesn't give you a reason to feel one way or the other. Basically, uh-huh. you know, it's like uh, the movie, or rather, the movie has built the case that listen, it's not so bad. Right, he didn't. You know, it was consensual. She, and I think that by the time that they get, I don't remember, dude. I mean, I'll have to rewatch it. It's been a while, you know. But I think the movie does its best to kind of like uh, soften the edges, like the moral edges. Yeah. Because I think that they're like she was actually old enough when they get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, have you ever seen the picture of him with his his cousin? No, I mean I've seen. Like, there's like oh, I, the picture. There's like a really famous one that was used like on all the newspapers and stuff where they're his arms around her and they're both smiling and like they look like a happy couple. But then it's like ew. It was like I mean, you look at Dennis Quaid and Winona Ryder and the, the age difference is so noticeable. <laughs> you know? So the movie builds him up as somebody that uh, two people that you want to root for. You know, when the backlash comes, you actually feel bad for him, uh, and you want things to. If not necessarily work out to at least, okay. I'm like, okay, you've led me down this path, movie, and I want you to don't just like send me tumbling down the cliff. Like walk with me down the cliff too. You yeah. know, give me like that movie needed an extra half hour, I think, to just unpack everything that had happened. There's so much detail on his rise to fame, and then so little detail on his fall from grace that it's just frustrating. It's basically, I think, what I'm hearing from you is things that Mangold did with. To improve upon the idea of the biopic, like with something like that, with Walk the Line, I haven't seen Walk the Line yet. You've never seen it, I know, and it seems like a lot of people. I thought we talk about it a lot. No, I know that it, you know uh, Reese Witherspoon <laughs> won the Oscar, and now Johnny Cash. I mean, as far as like, I know that Johnny Cash and June Carter were nowhere near as attractive as Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> and Reese Witherspoon. Here's the picture, by the way, the famous one. Aww, she looks like she's fucking eleven. No, she looks like a, a you know young woman from the black and white times of photography. I think I'm going to use that for the thumbnail of the episode also. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dennis Quaid, by the way, looks a lot like him. Well, well I mean, I can't see his facial features <laughs> well, very well here. Dennis Quaid's one thing. It's definitely a versatile actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing, I guess, that kind of explains a little bit, that oh, at least it's explained to me the ending, is just that uh, on the – liner notes for the soundtrack there's just this piece from the director where he talks about how awesome Jerry Lee Lewis is and how they became friends during the shoot and how involved he was with the project and that made me feel like okay well if Jerry Lee Lewis was heavily involved and this guy considers him a friend maybe he just felt weird about exploring in detail his fall from grace yeah which is why the movie just mainly paints him as a sympathetic figure whitewashes it right shies away from the worst part of the seediest part of it uh it, it just kind of alludes to it very quickly and then... That's still really unfair to do as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Irresponsible. You know, I mean, it's it's definitely portraying him as a different person than he is, I guess. You know, I mean, But then I'm sure that anybody would tell you, anybody defending it would just tell you it's a movie, it's not a... It's fiction. It's a documentary. It's not a biopic. It's, it's a biopic. It's not a documentary. You know, so... He's been married seven times. Since then? Uh, in as as a whole, Jerry Lewis has been married seven times. Well, yeah, <laughs> since then, like since the movie ended. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess I thought you meant since uh, whenever the movie came out. What, what year did you say that had come out? I don't know because I don't do the years, man. I can tell you it's sixty something percent in Grand Tomatoes. 
right. 63. The same same year, or at least they were shooting it the same year as The Doors, because that's when he was married to Meg Ryan, and they were both making rock movies. Who was married to Meg Ryan? Dennis Quaid. Oh, yeah. Oh, not wow. Jerry Lee Lewis. She's not one of the lucky seven. His hair is amazing, and it came out in 1989, so good call. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that's got me intrigued. I guess, I don't know how I never knew about that, that there was that really weird era of the late biopics and uh, the 80s. Uh, I've never seen The Doors either. But. I own it. Haven't seen it yet. Sir Oliver Stone may have to make a return. Uh, all right. So, like I said, when we were moving along here to the meat and potatoes, getting down to the, the top two, the bottom two, however you want to word it. Uh, Julio, you kind of had brought this up a bit earlier. I, I'm not surprised, I should say, because uh, I remembered the, the passionate disdain we both had for it. But number two, I have from 2011, Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God, thank you. Yeah. I, was, I was so I was hoping so much that, that when I – because I told you, I sat down here and it came to me that there was, oh, there was another movie that I wanted to include and by my list was already made. And then I told you, well, I'm going to put it as an honorable mention and hopefully you have it on your list. Yeah, right? I had that at number two. That was about the first one that came to mind in terms of endings that I really dislike. Now, to be fair, we kind of touched on this. Uh, the whole third act of that movie is just a train wreck. Yes. It, what table it sets for you. And I'm a bit different than you because I've gone back and just completely turned on the entire movie. Because I, I've like, it works when you're with it, but then when you find something to dislike, like the whole Ryan Gosling being the cool guy that takes him under his wing. Um, <laughs> I, well, now that I've, I've, I have this, I'm not gonna say that I have a, a universal dislike for Ryan Gosling, but I'm definitely. It takes him. I think he he has to work harder to win me over in a movie now because between the nice guys and La La Land. Like both performances where everybody loves him and think that he's so funny and charming, and I just kind of find him pretty bland and unremarkable. And Do you like him as Driver? Eh, fuck you. That's probably the first time that I was just. But I love him in uh, The Big Short. I think he's great in The Big Short. Yeah, he he is a really good actor. Um, that crazy stupid love is like that's typecasting at its finest. It's basically a movie that had a big budget, and they're like. All right, we're going to typecast, but actually use like these A-list actors to do so, and then put them in this really fucking ridiculous plot. Like, <laughs> I love how Ryan Gosling says the line when they all meet up. He's like, "How did you not tell me you have a daughter that's grown up?" It's like, "Yes, how did you not tell him that?" <laughs> uh, I do still really like the scene where Steve Carell's just like self-loathing in the bar, and Gosling just kind of sets him straight. And it's like, "You're pathetic. You're bringing down the mood here." That type of thing. How do you like the the scene where? Uh, what is it? Is he? Is he watching Julianne more like change a light bulb or something when he's calling from outside his house? She doesn't know that. Or is he just watching it? No, I think they're on the phone. Steve Carell? Yeah. Yeah. He's like hiding in the bushes or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be funny, but it comes off creepy like fucking um, I the player. I think it's sad. I thought it was supposed to be sad. I don't remember. But... Andy Dufresne. Who? Tim Robbins in the, the player when he's just like watching her from outside. <laughs> that... Uh, Emma Stone just kind of being that whole scene where like, do you find me attractive? And they're doing that shit in the the bed. Now I'm just shitting on the movie in general. The problem with it is that <laughs> How it, about the, the dance number, well not dance, but you know they're uh, don't they? Oh, they do the dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. Uh, well, that also Marissa Tomei's character, the way she's written is just fucking stupid. It just makes her look like an <laughs> idiot. But yeah, the whole thing is the movie sets this table for you that it's an unconventional romantic comedy. It's a Basically, what the movie leads you to believe is it's a 
it's it's a you know it's a cliche story, but with a different outcome. Uh, there's even that part where Julianne Moore gets mad at Steve Carell and drives off, and he says to him, and "It starts raining," and he says to himself, "Oh, what a cliche!" Right. And then the fucking movie ends with them getting in exactly like you said a Three Stooges fight, where I'm surprised one of them didn't <laughs> slip on a banana peel. And it's what's so telling about it is I remember watching it in a theater that was full, and all the old people and like just the vanilla masses ah like dying laughing at what was going on, and it, you at that point realize this movie. There was an effort put into about 40% of it, and then it became lowest common denominator. Yeah, but it's also like I can totally see the justification and for that And that's not laughter. the ending, but it's – Oh, it's, right, yeah. right, right. But I think – because I think that it gets like really uh, – when I like the movie best, it's when it, it's like awkward and uncomfortable and not particularly funny, but just – you know. And uh, But then you have this big set piece of pratfalls and – mistaken identities and you know miscommunication and just do you remember that scene too the like for half the scene julianne moore is blindfolded because it's trying to be steve carell's trying to make it a surprise for her and there's all this going on she's like oh right right yeah yeah yeah. no it's just so terrible it's so terrible but i can see like a lot of people being just like okay well i know for a fact that i'm supposed to laugh at this so i'll just i can finally relax and just let loose after all the awkwardness that has led us here uh but yeah, no, I I just think it's a big misfire tonally. I agree. And then you know the speech, the ending, yeah, where it's what is the actual? Pre- it's supposed to be that his son has to give a speech at his school, and then he like somehow turns it into him professing his love for his babysitter or whatever, and then Steve and then Carole. he takes over. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'll I'll never give up loving you. And then the place like gives him a standing ovation. It's wow, like one of those things crazy. I watch through my fingers because I'm like uh, it's can't turn away train wreck type shit. It's. It's easily – it can't be considered like one of the worst movies I've ever seen, anything like that. But because of those buttons it hits that we're talking about, it sticks in my brain. It's stuck like you know peanut butter on the roof of my mouth of when the phrase comes up, like bad endings. Because the first thing you're going to do is be triggered by things that you have an emotional attachment to or something right. you specifically remember. There's hundreds of movies I could think of with worse endings than this, but I remember specifically watching this and being just like, fuck this, that it just immediately comes to mind when we... Ha- Made when we- you angry. Yeah. It's one of those things that makes you angry. If you're watching a movie that's bad and it's it just leads to a bad ending, you're like, well, you know, figures. But then if you're watching... In my case, like I said, I like this movie up to a point and it's and then it turns into something else it just it just makes you angry yeah uh kind of like i was talking about with the strangers difference being with this is this one hops off the tracks way before then where the strangers is like it's building you up to think you know we're on this road to who knows what and then oh and where in this case instead of oh it was no (laughs) (laughs) bad movie (laughs) yeah get out you are fake news (laughs) all right lay it on me Number. Is this Senior Spielbergo? Numero dos. It is. And it is. Uh, th- this is one where, like, I think that everybody hates this movie a lot more than I do. Uh-huh. I don't hate it until we get to the end. And it's uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, wow. The one I kept reading about everywhere was AI. People said that was one of the worst endings no, ever. I kind of, like, listed it on my on my short list. And uh-huh. then I, scra- I scratched it off because I was like, you know what? I actually like both endings. <laughs> you know, because the problem with AI, in my opinion, is that it has an ending. And then it has it tags on like a short film that has different endings of laziness. Well, no, it's lazy, you know, because that that ending as a as as its own thing. I think it's a kind of like a sweet 
story. I'm trying to just distract you because you're about to start defending uh, Indiana Jones, aren't you? Well, no. I mean, I hate the ending. I'm going to defend the rest of it. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know you've defended <laughs> the parts of that movie to me before, but yeah. I don't think... Okay, look. I think it's the weakest Indiana Jones movie overall, like no matter what. You know, yeah. even forget the ending, it's still the weakest. Uh, I think Remember that... Remember when Shia LaBeouf swings with the monkeys? I, I mean, that's a weak spot, but but that, <laughs> no, but that whole sequence, I like, like, man, the monkey thing is so dumb, but, <laughs> but, but, bef- but it's surrounded by cool stuff. Like that whole chase scene through the jungle, I actually mm-hmm. like it. It's a lot like other Indiana Jones movies where you're like, oh, crazy stuff is happening. It's just that they push it a little too far with the monkeys. Yeah. Uh, and they also like just like they push it a little too far with the refrigerator thing earlier in the movie. God, it's just like some dumb shit. Yeah, but but the ending is bad. Well, yeah, but no, okay. But the good thing is that Very as a bad. portrayal of an aging Indiana Jones, it's not bad. It hits some good moments. I mm-hmm. like when you know he sees a picture of his dad. Yeah, and you clearly realize, oh, he died. You know, it's- so many people had their mind made up going into this just because they thought it was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf getting the torch handed to him for being the new Indiana Jones. Yes. Which, to my knowledge, there was never any like concrete evidence of that. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, that's not. Uh, and actually, I don't mind that part of the ending that when uh, when Andy Andy like grabs a hat again and yeah. it's like, nope, <laughs> that that's great. But uh, but yeah, no. So there, there's like you know his other friend like Marcus. You know he dies too. Like they have like the bus there and. His reunion with Marion, I like it. I like that, you know, they bring back Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it, there's a lot of stuff that I like sprinkled all throughout. And if it had been, if it just stayed like that and you'd given like an ending that was okay or even better, an ending that was great, I'll be yeah. like, okay, well, I'm down with this Indiana Jones movie overall. But what, what really, what I hate is that the big set piece ending at the end is just ending at the end. It's, it's just, <laughs> It's so weak. It's just him running around, like him and his family running from things. All the other Indiana Jones movies have amazing endings. They have like elaborate set pieces where like there's a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of stuff that he does. Yeah. And uh, here it it's literally him just running away from this, from the aliens, from his, uh, from from the 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 temple that's like collapsing. The biggest emotional moment is supposed to be him trying to save his friend who by now has triple crossed him throughout the movie. <laughs> you you can't keep it straight if he's like on the side of the good guys, side of the bad guys, double spy, triple spy, four times spy, like uh he's a double agent. Yeah, he's like a quadruple agent. And then Kat, uh, Kate Blanchett's hat blows up. Yeah, yeah, the aliens killer, right? Cuz she like looks at him or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I don't remember. Like, there's like a big like black hole or something that opens, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's and then the, not where, but when, or whatever he says about where they went. Oh, it's uh, so bad. Yeah, his friends are getting sucked off there, and so he like catches him with his whip, and then he tries to like save him, and it's almost reminiscent of uh, the end of Last Crusade when like he's trying to save uh, Elsa at the end, yeah, right. Except that back then you kind of cared about Elsa as a character. Here you don't care about his friend. So this big emotional moment where like he loses him, and you're supposed to care. You don't care, and then it's just back to running and running. I God, I just hate it. And, and let's let's be clear. <laughs> I, I forgot how bad it's like replaying in my head as you're going through it. it, it it's one of those things you watch. And you're like, someone got paid to write this. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it really is a lot of running around. Oh, I don't mind. Crying over here, but I don't mind that 
the big thing is that it's aliens. I don't have. I know. I remember a lot of people have problems with like, well, how you gotta do aliens? What kind of bullshit is that in the Andy Jones universe? Okay, you know he had like the yes, Holy Spielberg Grail. Spielberg has no experience making a good movie out of aliens. <laughs> well, it's like you know you've had the Holy Grails, the Sakara Stones, and the Ark of the Covenant. Those are all like magical things, uh-huh. you know. So to make it aliens is not a stretch. I don't have a problem with yeah, that. Yeah, it, the Indiana Jones and is he, never really grounded in reality, right? And it's the period that the movie set in. The aliens make sense and everything. I don't have a problem with the aliens, and I think the shot of the giant spaceship coming out at the end—that's cool. And I like, like and I it said, it goes into another dimension. <laughs> yeah, it just disappears. Uh, but man, everything that happens before it's such a bummer as far as an ending from a franchise that's, in my opinion, is known for having good endings. Yeah, it, it's just weak. And also, a director that's usually pretty good at putting like a good spectacle of an ending for for that kind of stuff. You know, Spielberg can handle action. He can handle adventure like no one else. And yet, it's just. What the hell happened here? I feel like I've found myself defending that movie more than trashing it, but I forgot how bad the ending was. But at the same time, like you said, prior to that, there are good things in there. It's not an overall just bad movie, but yeah, it's just lazy and um, not becoming of the Indiana Jones franchise. Yeah, I like I felt with... uh... Spider-Man 3 where I was like I want Raimi to come back for one last one so he can like send it off in style and you know it never happened kind of like I want Spielberg and Ford and everybody else to come back for one last one that would just kind of like make the franchise ending like a little better you can I mean you can get only maybe one more hair uh Indiana Jones out of Harrison Ford yeah so you need to Han make Solo's it a good already one. gone yeah so, so uh and it's time, like, you know, uh, I wouldn't be against bringing Shia LaBeouf back, but, you know, he, he has He's to earn that. He's kind of a that... bit of a loose cannon now. <laughs> what was I? Oh, because you said Spider-Man. I got sidetracked there. That was another one that uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I found a lot of people that hated the ending of that movie. I, dude, I, I mean, I'm not going to put it. Yeah, it's not on my list because that's like, I think it's high enough in Run Tomatoes and also like, it's just. The Amazing weird. Spider-Man 2? Oh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say Spider-Man 2. Like, no, no, no. Like no. Spider-Man 2. Is, I just Oh, yeah, it, yeah. No, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Fuck that. But that movie. whole movie is just bad, Yeah, right? that movie is trash Yeah, from beginning to end. I'm so dismissive. But <laughs> I, I like some stuff in it, but overall, it's just a bad movie. So, yeah. All right. Uh, oh, that's... By the way, Crystal Skull is 77% Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Yeah. Higher than I thought. Yeah. I thought it would be more divisive. All right. So, for my number one, this is clearly my pick. Because this is not a movie we would do, nor is it a movie that has any lore in really any culture except for the horror genre. <laughs> uh, and that would be Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning from the year of 1985. <laughs> My God, do I hate the ending of this movie. <laughs> and to go from a franchise that has ridiculous ending after ridiculous ending... It is so bothersome to me, but a lot of it just goes into the backstory of the movie and the history of it surrounding it. What Friday the 13th have you seen, Julio? Um, I think I've seen the first one. Where his mom's the killer. Right. And then I've seen the 3D one. Three. That's the third one? Okay. And then I've That's seen... the one where he actually gets the hockey mask. I don't remember. I just remember like the 3D shots being so obviously meant to be 3D. <laughs> the one where the guy's like, "Hey, hit this," and like yeah. hands the joint. Uh, and then I've seen uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Not a fan. I, I at the time 
I I liked it well enough because I was a teenager. Oh yeah, because it's it, gory as fuck. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of like the idea that it wasn't Jason. I mean, it's Jason's brain or whatever. I don't know. You're teetering a line because that that one. <laughs> if five wasn't so bad, then that would always be the one that I say is just fucking dumb. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's a terrible movie. I mean, if I watched it now, I'm sure I would. Just not the care. idea that it's not Jason; it's just a demon. Yeah, the demon. Well, I kind of like what I liked was that the Jason gets blown to pieces. In the, by in the, the FBI. In the opening. Well, yeah, because it made sense in the sense that, you know, I'm like, wow, there's been like seven movies and nobody ever thought of like just shooting him with a bazooka or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the fact that that happened, I'm like, okay, cool. I haven't seen that before. And then uh, I, I like the ending with uh, at the very end when <laughs> Freddy's hand comes and like takes the mask. And it was fucking like. 10 years before they actually right, got that right. movie off the ground. At the time, I just thought it was like a wink to the audience. They didn't realize that it was actually a thing that was supposed to be. That was works. first. They first started putting that into motion in 1989. And the that's movie didn't insane. come out until 2003. And that's. I've seen that one too. It's quite not good. It's it's kind of a letdown, I guess. Uh, it's it, kind of weird that they make Jason the hero. Like, you know, that yeah. you're supposed to be rooting for Jason. Yeah. It would have been, I think, a lot more fun if it's just too monsters uh and then i watched the remake uh oh the marcus Nespel one with uh well there's no one of name value in i don't it. think so yeah but where jason's like a pot farmer and a master archer <laughs> yes he has all his like home alone traps yeah like, exactly um that movie i i'm pretty sure Corey walked out like the last 10 minutes or so <laughs> Oh, good on him. I, I remember just being angry when it was over. Um, I think he went for a smoke. It's not that he just walked out in protest. I think oh, he was just it. like, I need to smoke. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, big fan of the franchise, as I am. And yeah, the Freddy versus Jason, what made that so frustrating is like, he spent like 15 years trying to develop this movie, and that's what you got. And I, I don't know if I've told you the story. The. the DVD, the first release of it, has a documentary on about the history of it and has that thing, the interview excerpt where Mike Judge wrote a script for it <laughs> that was just like, he did it just, I wouldn't say out of boredom, but just kind of did it just to do it because he had some ideas for it. No one's ever seen it or anything, but that would be uh. so awesome to see a Mike Judge script on that. Okay, so Friday the 13th is a franchise that ends episode... So is, is Jason Beavis and... No, no. Freddy's Beavis, Jason's butthead. <laughs> yes, because it all comes back to that in the end with Mike Judge. Um, we're dealing with the franchise here that part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, ends because Jason uh, is scared of water and he turns back into a little kid. Uh, wait, we... wait, wait, that's part four. No, 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 that's part eight. Eight? Yeah. So wait, Freddy goes to hell, or Jason goes to hell is what, nine? Yes. Oh, Okay, because oh, Jason the, X is right. 10. That's right, and actually, I have seen Jason X, and I like it quite a bit. I mean, in the in the sense that in, I had fun. Yeah, and, it's ridiculous. So there, these movies. I mean, art is not what I would call them, but they part five is just laziest, bottom of the barrel, aggravating filmmaking ever. So, quick history lesson: uh, part one, obviously, they had no idea how much money it would make at all. Uh, Sean Cunningham, the guy who created it, did it to occupy his time. I believe he had a sitcom that he was trying to get picked up about, like soccer, like a fam, like a family sitcom, and he did this just because he thought it would get his name. Like basically, he could add onto his resume, so he directed it. And he joked about my pilot didn't get picked up, but all three of my kids went through college because of Friday the Thirteenth. Um, and then so because of that, New Line's like, okay, well let's try this again. Made a bunch of money. Let's try it again. 
made a bunch of money. Then they were like, all right, we're getting at the point, you know, of no return. We don't want to overdo this, which in hindsight is really funny. So they made part four, <laughs> the final chapter, which was truly meant to be the final chapter. And that's the one with um, Corey Feldman, where he kills Jason in the end, and he, and in he a becomes... sense, becoming Jason. Right. And it's, it's that cliffhanger ending. And then they're just like, ah, fuck it. It made a bunch of money. We'll make another one and we'll just keep doing it again. So a part five, part five, a new beginning. You think like all this cool shit's going to come along with it. You don't know really what to expect from it. If it's going to be Corey Feldman, that's the killer. If it's Jason, all this shit. Nope. It's basically uh, another 48 hours where the Iceman turns out to be just fucking a sidekick, a <laughs> uh, fucking glorified extra happens in the end is the actual killer is this deranged paramedic whose son was killed after like in the second act of the movie and it drove him to madness to impersonate jason completely negating the previous kills like prior to that (laughs) destroying the movie and the way it happens is like he gets pushed out of the second story of a barn and he falls on a grate and the mask falls off and so it's just like there and then you just see his face and it's literally like the Iceman, you're like, wait, who is that? You're like, and I think it's just. But be- there was no Eddie Murphy to tell you, <laughs> hey, that's not Jason. <laughs> it's so f- lazy, and as I've discussed, a big part of my beef with studios and the way they produce this is if I can see the end of something and their sentiment was, fuck you, you're going to pay for it anyway, that gets to me more than anything. And I think just because I like the franchise so much and to see the doldrums that it's gone to before, and I'm still like, yeah, it's fun, that should like <laughs> express like how bad this is. Like I, Every year, I usually, because I own it because I have, I have the box set of all of them, I've never gone back and revisited it. Just because like I, I remember watching it the one time and was just so like, fuck this, this is so stupid. Um, and so, as far as like the Jason Friday Thirteenth mythology, you can skip this one. Yes, it, it, has right, it has nothing no to impact do. On, okay, they don't reference to it. It's not one of the things like in the opening montage they reference like any kills from it or anything like that. It's, and that's the thing. It was just made as like, well, we'll get money from it. Um, I guess in hindsight, one the emotional attachment of me being like angry the first time I saw it and like now knowing the story behind it, how they could have really done something cool or just left it ambiguous at the end. But it's just, it's that, you know, logic be damned. We have no time for that. So maybe kind of out of left field pick for my number one bad ending, but it's one that always is stuck in my craw. And when the phrase, you know, bad movie ending comes up, it, it springs to the top of my mind. Yeah, obviously you have a bigger emotional investment in the Friday 13 franchise than I do. I think Corey has a box set too, and I, I don't remember if he's ever told me anything about part five. I do know he hates that the remake with a passion. Yeah. Like, I've, I've heard that anger from him. The, <laughs> the way that I hear from you now, I, I've, I've heard from him back then. Oh, man, I'm excited. Oh, damn it, I missed my my, my joke was going to be, all right, number one, saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's We can't lay off Spielberg. We just keep going. Yeah. So so he saves Private Ryan? <laughs> Fuck him. He would not be able to pull a gun out and shoot it at a tank. Yeah, come on. That's like the plane show up right in the nick of time. How convenient. Just shit CGI. That old guy looks nothing like Matt Damon. <laughs> uh, no. But but it is a big name director for my number one. At sixty five percent run tomatoes, Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. 
Whoa. Yeah, I dude, I don't care for that ending. I like the movie. I actually I watched the have you seen it? Uh no. Oh, well then I thought your whoa wasn't like man, now you're No, I'm just happy angry. because it's both similar veins we're in here in terms of not widely regarded classics and also like top level camp. But yeah, yeah, and and it's like I know that the first like if somebody's going to defend the ending, uh, it's gonna be like, oh, you're missing the point. That's what it's supposed to be, you know. But to me, especially because I watched it as a double feature, the the Grindhouse double feature. So first, mm-hmm. I had to sit through Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror, which is not a bad movie, but it's not like a great movie. Have you seen Planet Terror? I haven't seen either of them. Yeah, it, I, all I've seen, I've seen the trailers that like the mock trailers that played before in between. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that you know the Grindhouse thing. In retrospect, it's not. It wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a genre type of movie that I that I enjoyed that I would like go watch anyway. Well I and saw so, both the Machete movies and that was kind of just an, an extension of that. Right. Same thing like Machete, like I watched both of them and I was just like, I mean, I, I kind of like I'm watching it, hoping just because I don't want to be out of the loop. Yeah. But I have absolutely no investment. It, it most of the time it doesn't work for me. Same thing with Grindhouse. I was just like when I read about it, I'm like, this sounds awesome. This sounds like a lot of fun. And then watching it, it was more like I guess it was a lot of fun for them to make it. Not mm. so much fun for me to watch it. But I'm sure there are people that are into those kind of movies that just are oh, having dude. a time of their life. Yeah, those grind like fucking hobo with a shotgun. I remember everyone shitting their dick about that movie. And I, I was, haven't seen it. I, I, I was, same type thing. I, I really just, I guess because I worked with film for so many years that it annoys me when movies have scratches digitally <laughs> added in. Dude, yeah, I was. Were you were you working when Grindhouse came out? Do you have people come out and complain about like the state of the film? And uh, it was I, I wasn't uh, a film technician at that point. Uh, I remember when I moved up, when I was getting trained and everything. Uh, my friend Michael told me about that, and he also said like it was the scariest movie to deal with because it took up it's almost huge. the entire yeah. platter. Yeah, I, I we got the little warning. inside lingo for you there. <laughs> uh, we we got the warning from the studio saying, "Hey, beware! You know, you have to explain to people that that's the, the way the movie's supposed to be watched and whatever." And I remember being really worried about it, and then really not having to worry about it because nobody came to watch it. <laughs> it, it. It was just one of the things where, like, uh, the people that came to watch it already knew what they were getting into. There wasn't a whole lot of mass appeal. Yeah, uh, it's so, a huge commitment. I mean, they're both like full features. Yeah, uh, and and Planet Terror, it's not it's not terrible, and I'm sure if you're drinking and watching it with your buddies, it's a lot of fun. But overall, it was it's not great, it's, and it's like an hour and a half of that at least before you get to Death Proof. So you're already kind of tested, uh, and then you get to Death Proof, and it's actually really good for most of its runtime. It has that Tarantino dialogue, it has like the visual flair, and it has Kurt Russell as this crazy, you know, like what it is about, right? Yeah. 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 So so you see the Death Proof basically two parts. It has two sets of kills, two groups of women. And so the first time you you meet these women at a bar, I think, and uh, and you see Kurt Russell, and you know because everybody's told you leading up to this movie, like all the marketing, whatever, you know that he's a killer, right? But you meet him, and he's just kind of like this guy. He might be a little creepy, and he interacts with these these women and whatever, and you know that it's building up to him killing them. And then you get the the set piece where he kills them with his car. Yeah, and. Uh, and it's amazing. It's like easily the high point of the movie. Uh, and you're like, this is good. Okay, so it was worth it sitting through all this stuff because Tarantino now is it's taking things to a new level. This is you know, it's a Tarantino movie, which is what I what I wanted. So then it gets to the second part, which is another set of women. And uh and this time 
uh, Kurt Russell is in the background. He's not like a key player in the thing. Like they're the opening of that is uh, they're sitting at a cafe or restaurant or something, and you can see Russell like in the background at the bar, but he hasn't interact with anyone. He's just eating there, and they're talking, and it's like an actress and uh, maybe like a stunt double or something, and. Uh, Lucy McLean is in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, she gets, like, the the worst part of it because she's just kind of, like, the innocent girl. And uh, Ramona Flowers? Yeah, Ramona Flowers. Okay. Uh, she's... The way it plays out is, like, they have to go somewhere to get a car, maybe. I don't know. And they, they, they leave her as collateral, basically. And, and then she's, like, out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then So then it's just Rosario Dawson and uh, the two other women. And... Uh, and they, they have the run-in with Kurt Russell. Like, I think they're out on a joyride, maybe. And Russell, like, I don't remember the logistics of it, man. But it ends up being, like, three women versus Kurt Russell. And and it's kind of, like, intense. By now, you're kind of worn out because there's been so much talking. And I, I guess the problem is that when you have a serial killer whose weapon of choice, his method of killing is, like, his car, you it's, you know, you can't you have, limit like, what you can do. Exactly. So, uh but anyway, they get to the the final confrontation. They're like fighting him or whatever, and then I don't remember much about this movie, but I know exactly how it ends. Russell is out of his car. Somehow they got him out of the car, and then the three women come out, and they start like beating on him, and like like with like they kick him or something. And Kurt Russell, who's been kind of like a badass up till now, turns into this whimpering crybaby <laughs> once he's out of his car and defenseless, and he starts like begging for his life. And these women, like, beat him to shit. I don't remember if they kill him or not. But it's such a, like, left turn for the character. And But, of course, that's when the people that love this kind of movie, they'll be like, oh, you're missing the point, man. (laughs) What he's doing is he's giving the power back to the women, like, because they're usually the victims and this kind of stuff. And now they're, like, he's turning, like, the, the... the killer into like what he really is. He's he's just a coward, and once he doesn't have his card, then he's defenseless. And what? I don't care, man. I was watching it. I, <laughs> I was like two hours and forty five minutes into this bullshit, and it really it ends with kind of like a bad joke, you know? Like yeah. I I just it's such a letdown. It's the only Quentin Tarantino movie that I don't care to rewatch ever again. Uh, even though it has good things, you know, it's just that that ending. It's not. It doesn't make it worth it, and. uh it was just, you know, I let down in the sense of, well, this movie was leading me one way and then it let me down. I let down in the sense that it was the new Tarantino movie and that doesn't happen every year. Yeah. And so to come out and go watch it and, you know, just be so disappointed by it. Uh, and, and it was also a letdown for the whole experiment because I actually, it sounded like so much fun when they were talking about it. Uh-huh. And then to be just, I guess that's on a more personal level, but to be let down in the sense that oh wow this was not for me at all <laughs> i am not part of the cool kids that like this movie and that I get it i do not like this yeah this is just not not for me i'm walking away from this i don't know uh, that i didn't really care for kill bill so that separation with uh, me and tarantino happened a while back yeah i know i think kill bill is amazing uh, i bet you do <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that's supposed to mean but uh no that's interesting and i can definitely see too the idea of you know being three hours deep and just kind of ready for something to wrap up and then do it in a disappointing way can definitely stick with you too. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I think it's the only ending out of like the five that uh, my list where, where people can just say, well, you just didn't get it. You know, all the others I'm like, bad. This is objectively bad. (laughs) Yes. And this one's like, Oh, you're missing the point that he was making. And maybe so it's still, I don't like it. Well, that (laughs) goddamn it's your list. (laughs) Exactly. 
So yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm trying to finagle a way, figure out a way we can transition uh, the podcast into being, you know, um, incorporating more episodes like this into it. Not necessarily. I'm not just saying like lists, mm-hmm. but like um, episodes, kind of not necessarily bonus episodes, but making them more focused on individual aspects or individual actors, things like that, where we still bring basically our taste to it and then continue on also um with our film episodes and those will just be like the numbered episodes right so um i don't know i haven't exactly figured out a way to present that but i, I enjoy doing these a lot too where we kind of bring uh more 100 percent opinion base to it but also we can take that to because sarcasm is our first given language i feel like here so we'll figure that out but for the immediate you know we're we've got this one uh this one when is wrestlemania two weeks so yeah i should be able to get this and then we'll whip that glow one together pretty quick okay um so so a glow is coming it's happening after or before wrestlemania before because we need to get it ready before so we okay. can put hashtag wrestlemania on it that's true. hashtag roman empire so we'll do that next wednesday we'll also record the uh best endings that one will be out in a few weeks though as will when you're listening to this episode 40 will not be out yet but you can we had a hell of a time watching and recording. This is 40. You can look forward to that. Uh, we've got a plan for 41. Did we figure out 42 yet? It would be a bad movie. Rotten Tomatoes bad. I don't think so. I have I have some some ideas. I think I've, I wrote them down. So I'll, I'll run by you. Okay. Um, I, I know we said I, maybe 43 is too soon after because you know since we're having a guest on 41, uh-huh. I don't want to have like another guest just two episodes later. So maybe we'll give him like a little don't more. Don't want to jump the shark. Yeah, I know, I know. We want to bring a little kid, and they'll be like, the, <laughs> "What is it like, cousin Joe, or whatever what they call it when you bring a kid to a TV show, a long-running TV show? You bring a, you bring a kid to like up the ratings." And, yeah. Uh, oh, is there a name, name for that trope? Yeah, it's oh. a name because the first time that they did it, it was supposed to be like you know, let's say cousin Alex. Oh, we bring cousin Alex. Oh, to what's like, the, the, the Brady Bunch? They did that. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I just remember reading about it, and now every now and then I'll see somebody bring a a kid, like a show, bring a kid. A cute kid to up the ratings. Uh, who are we having on? Eddie? Uh, Curtis for The Wild Bunch. Oh, okay. In 41, we're having Reed. Yeah. For, for the mystery. Yes. The box. The box. <laughs> for an untitled uh, Contrarious episode. Which my plan is to get Julio and Reed here to watch it and not let them know what it is until the opening credits Oh, roll. he doesn't know either? No. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll be good. I mean, there's a there's a chance he may leave when he sees the opening credits. But <laughs> anything else to add before we let this go? No. Should we, we just using... let this meander? No, let's not let's not be one of those <laughs> podcasts. No, no meandering. We just say the end and then it ends. But uh, are we? I don't remember. Like on the bonus episodes, are we using uh, the, our usual music, or are those the ones that just start with us talking? Because I've seen it happen both ways. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to get it right. Uh, in editing it, if I if basically what we talked about springs to mind, any music to use, that's what I do. But we can go ahead and give the festive years a plug here, as okay, we always cool. do. Yeah, yeah. Festive, they may have not played <laughs> at the beginning, and they may not play at the end. But if they did, and even if they didn't, they're always great, and they play Absolutely. definitely. They definitely play on our regular episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, their album is "Don't Let Me Use You." Mm-hmm. And the opening track is usually uh, Last, Last Hand. Hand. Yeah. <laughs> and the closing track is Summer, Summer of 1999. 1999. And they're great. And iTunes, Bandcamp. Yes. Their frontman is named Christopher Lloyd, but he's not the not actor. Not Doc Brown. Nope. 
No, but yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this uh, part one of a, a two-part saga in terms of endings. So we thank Casey Affleck and Manchester by the Sea for springing the inspiration. Uh, and it was fun doing that research and getting mad about Friday the 13th Part 5 all over again. Uh, but next time we'll be uh, arguing about the greater endings in uh, our film history. But until then, we appreciate as always listening to The Contrarians. Where we're right, you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Episode eight? No, wait. Episode eight? Yeah, six, seven. No, episode six. Episode eight is uh, Force Awakens. Wait, where does it start? Let me yeah. recut that. It starts with four. This is gonna get cut out. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>